calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the Geek Buddies. Oh, that's right! As you hear from Michael Vogel's intonations, there it is. A Thanksgiving, we're dropping this on Thanksgiving. So, from the three of us. Happy Right, that was like that was like that uh that was like that uh Kristen Wiig sketch on uh Saturday Night Live. Happy, Happy. Uh, trying to say it all together. We didn't do it. We didn't nail no. it, guys. All right, we'll do it one more time. Ready? Yes. Happy, Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Doing great. We're just starting off well. Thankful. Know, well, thankful. Thankful. We don't have to do that again. It's a holiday. <laughs> well, <laughs> we shall see. It's a holiday. We appreciate you all madly taking the time to hang out with us. Maybe you're taking a break from your family, from your friends. Maybe you just want to hang out with your buddies here on Thanksgiving. Maybe you're even having Thanksgiving by yourself, and you want some companionship. We appreciate you hitting a hitting the play on this video and watching it or listening to it on the podcast channel. We appreciate it, Mally. We're going to get into so many things here today. We're going to talk about uh, Bob Iger and uh, and the Bob Chapek situation. That's going to be our main topic. We're going to get into some fun trailers that dropped over the last few days. We're going to talk about some news with Blade, some Indiana Jones 5 news, and some news about the Spider-Verse sequel as well. But before we get going, let's introduce ourselves. I am the outlaw, John Roca, writer, producer, and host here on the Geek Buddies and the Outlaw Nation. Uh, Mike? 
I am Michael Vogel. I'm a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies, and just a thankful individual overall. Oh, I like that. Shannon. And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor, and also a big fan of that sweet, succulent turkey. <laughs> what are you doing right now? <laughs> Well, I'm a big a big fan of planes, trains, and automobiles, and I can't wait to do my uh, annual Thanksgiving. <laughs> I got I got it on the list. I got it, it on the list for the weekend. I even got it in 4K. If there's a movie that does not need to be in 4K, it is planes, trains, and automobiles. But I bought it anyway just to support the existence of that movie in 4K. So I can't wait to watch it. Uh, and uh, anyway, so the, the way the show works here for those of you who are new, uh, each of us t- uh, brings up a geek news item. We talk about it amongst ourselves. There's three of them then we take a quick break and then jump into our main topic which as i said is the bob chapek bob Iger shocking news here with this we're going to break it all down and get our thoughts about all of it you know and one of the reasons that i love michael vogel being on the show michael's been in those uh boardrooms michael's been behind the curtain in those uh, studios and understands what this situation might mean so you might get a little more nuance to this conversation than you've had in other places so i'm definitely looking forward because i have not heard what michael thinks about any of this and of course what shannon thinks about any of this until we get to this conversation so i'm looking forward to it uh but uh let me start us off let's talk about first uh uh oh also we should definitely give love on this thanksgiving especially giving thanks to carbon health who continues to power and sponsor us here on the geek buddies carbonhealth.com you got any healthcare questions concerns or needs head on over there Look, if you're on the go, get the app, download it on your phone. You never know what ha- what could happen out there in the world. Something happens to you, check in and see if you've got a, if they've got a clinic near you, you can go check, get checked out and see what happens or see what happened rather and get it squared away. Mike? Do they have uh, do they have mental health as well? They do have mental health. Yes, it's it's they're just getting into it. So they've got stuff there for you, Good. mental health as well, especially during the holidays, Mike. Great point so you bring for up. All of you uh, for all of you that are currently listening to this to escape the political arguments that you are having <laughs> with your family at this exact moment, Carbon Health is there for you. Because if you guys are anything like my family, <laughs> that is why I am having Thanksgiving with my friends here in Los Angeles. There you go. There you go. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get into it. Let me kick it off here. Let's start off with some Blade news. Uh, this just came a few day, a couple days ago here that uh, Jan Demange is stepping in as the director for Blade. Uh, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, Jan DeManche has done uh, a number of projects, most recently Lovecraft Country. Uh, that's something that's certainly on his resume as as a kind of calling card for what he can do with this. But also, Michael Starbury is coming in to write the script. One Another thing that I like about Jan DeManche as the director, he did 71, which is a fantastic film uh, about Northern Ireland at, during the Troubles there that was going on. Set in 1971, Jack O'Connell, that was my first exposure to him. So certainly can direct a film that is about some really tough stuff going on there in a foreign country, but then also can come and direct White Boy Rick. That's another film directed. It's a little, it's a little, uh, you know, a mixed bag in White Boy Rick, but certainly there are some nice instincts with him as a director. Michael Starbury himself, though, he uh, wrote on the Emmy-nominated uh, limited series When They See Us and he executive produced at the limited series, the Colin Kaepernick series, Colin in black and white. So what I take from this gentleman is we've got two very strong black voices coming in to help people of color, rather coming in to maybe add an extra interesting element to blade that we haven't seen in the first three films. Maharsha Ali is said to be staying on board. There were rumors that he might step off because of all the unrest behind the scenes and him not being 100% down with what was going on with the script and with the previous director. So this is a very strong move. And apparently he was involved in getting these people hired. So 
clearly wants to put his stamp on this blade, on his blade to separate it out from Wesley. What do you guys think about this news and these two uh, gentlemen coming in to uh, be a part of the production team for this film? I mean, starting with uh, Jan Demange, uh, I think his work on the pilot for Love craft country was yeah. outstanding i mean i think i think he was almost too good because i don't think the show as much as i enjoyed the show ever quite reached the potential what the pilot set up yeah. um the the amount of story that they told the amount of dread that he was able to get in with that scene with the uh the, the monsters at night when they're all in the cabin i oh. mean it was just so so well done and knowing that he's gonna you know have a swing at a at a Marvel supernatural property, it, it seems like a pretty natural fit. And to uh, Michael Starbury, um, yeah, the 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 pilot for When They See Us as well. Yeah. I mean, just really, really excellent character work. Really good at setting up a world and and giving you a roadmap of where the where that journey is going to take you. Um, it's it seems like a very natural fit for mm-hmm. for both writers. So I think it's a really really some really exciting choices. For sure. Michael, what are your thoughts on this? I think this all feels right. I mean, I think this is this is where, you know, when you have those news stories where, oh, God, Blade lost his director, Mahershal, like, like mm-hmm. there's clearly some troubles, but it seems like they, at least on paper, are solving those troubles. I mean, Lovecraft Country, that pilot, as Shannon is right, I think Lovecraft Country is a uneven series some of the episodes are bangers some of the episodes not as much but overall it's interesting show and that pilot is spectacular like the pilot of lovecraft country is so good and it's good because as shannon said they nail the supernatural part but they also nail the black experience yeah through the filter of a supernatural show and so when you have a marvel superhero who is a black character in yeah. a supernatural movie? Great point. That seems like such a natural, like, like smack your forehead. Why didn't we think of this sooner? Right. And combine that with when they see us, like it, it's very clear that there is a specific point of view going into this now that wasn't necessarily was probably desired to be there before, yeah, but yeah. wasn't necessarily as strong in the direction that it seems to be going now. And I think that that is, in my opinion, going to make Blade hopefully a much stronger movie. In half of Twitter's opinion will be a more woke movie and they'll all scream about it. But you know what? <laughs> I think we should just accept that that's part and parcel of doing business with good movies now. So yeah. I'm excited about this. I think it's really good. Yeah, the less you listen to them, I think the better off you are. Or better off you are for sure. And Dimash won the British Independent Film Award for Best Director over seventy-one. It was nominated for the BAFTA Award for Outstanding Debut by a British writer, director, or producer, and was considered one of the uh, promising new voices in British filmmaking uh, when he first burst onto the scene with seventy-one. So this seems like a natural progression. He also did a bunch of episodes of the Secret Diary of a Call Girl, which a lot of people liked back then. Uh, so you know, I think Riley Keough was the uh, lead in that one. So uh, an interesting uh, – oh, sorry, Billy Piper was the lead now. Sorry about that. Uh, But good combination of factors here going in, so I'm excited for this. The other news we got, uh, and speaking of uh, films that are in production here that we're excited to be seeing uh, moving forward here, is uh, we got some new details on Indy 5. We got some new pictures. This is off of an Empire article, the British uh, film magazine there, Um, and seeing some new photos of Mads Mikkelsen, some new photos – 
of uh, of um, uh, Harrison Ford here. Let me uh, bring it up on the screen as I'm talking, which is why I'm stumbling over my words here. There you go. There's Mads Mickelson there. Ignore the ads. Ignore the ads for Bose headphones. And then you've got, I think that's Boyd Holbrook there. Boyd Holbrook. Uh, looking pretty uh, uh, in the middle of a ticker tape parade. you got this great cover for the Empire Magazine. And then this kind of cover on the front, which I know made Shannon sit up and take notice. And this shot of him hanging off of a boat. And we've got a shot here of, Phoebe Waller Bridge as well, and some of the particulars of the of the uh, plot here. It is set in 1969, living against the backdrop of the space race, but the American effort to beat the Russians to the moon brings with it some uncomfortable truths for Indiana Jones. So we are out of World War II. They're actually doing an accurate representation that he's gotten older, and we're in 1969. It seems like there's no Nazis, although. Some people have argued that Mads Mikkelsen looks a little bit like a certain somebody. So you're making the Russians the villains here, or the communists rather, the villains here. So thoughts on these uh, new details? And Phoebe Waller-Bridge also spoke a little bit more about her character. Thoughts on these details, gentlemen? So it is the it is the Nazis. It is not the Russians. The Russians was what the hell was, is going was, on was, here? Enough with the Nazis in nineteen sixty nine. Well, you I mean, look at it's you look at the twenty three, and we still have Nazis. <laughs> And you look at the scientists who pioneered, you know, some of the scientists who pioneered the, you know, the U.S. space program. Yeah, they were they were uh, former Nazis. Do we think this is the, these are the uncomfortable truths that India is going to have to face that he's going to oh, have to work with some of these Nazis? One hundred percent. And I don't know if it was in this article or, or if it was someplace else, but they did sort of equate Mads Mikkelsen's character sort to sort of a uh, uh, Werner von Braun type. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know. I, I kingdom of the crystal skull just burned me so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and every time we get a little bit of Indy five news, I start to get a little bit more optimistic. Um, knowing that uh, Phoebe Waller bridges character, Helena um, is supposed to be uh, Indiana Jones's goddaughter. Right. And in my head, I'm like, okay, goddaughter, is this the granddaughter of Marcus Brody? Boom. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to think like what other characters, yeah. like, could it be the granddaughter of Marcus Brody? Like, oh my gosh, that would be, that would make me smile so yeah. much. Um, it's, it's, it seems again, I'm so reticent to get excited. Um, but then reading um, James Mangold's uh, a little bit of uh, like his, his uh, interview yeah. where he had said like, you know, I really was interested in telling the story of uh, a hero at their end, much like he did yeah. with Logan. And he's like the current, you know, the, the script that he came on to is like, there was a lot of talk. There was old jokes. He's like, but I feel like it needs more than that. And Harrison Ford kind of said the same thing. Like, what does Indiana Jones look like at the end? And so like how archeology span hooks up with, uh, with the space race, not exactly sure, um, but Mads Mikkelsen, you know, he he looks awesome. I think Boyd Holbrook also looks cool. The fact that yeah. we're going to have some sort of action scene set amongst a ticker tape parade from one of the Apollo missions. I, you know, I'm, I'm watching For All Mankind right now as well, so they kind of yeah. link up. Um, <laughs> so I, I am um, hesitantly optimistic here. Yeah. What do you think here, Mike? She, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge describes her character as a mystery and a wonder. Uh, Mangold says she's, quote, slippery, charming, the girl next door, a grifter. Does it make sense what uh, Shannon is saying that he's connected to, uh, to um, oh, God, what's his name again? Marcus Brody. To Brody? Brody. What, what do you think? Maybe, maybe, although, you know, the idea of, like, being slippery, grifter, it almost sounds like if you are Marcus Brody's granddaughter uh, and someone who's trusted, maybe you shouldn't be trusted. 
Uh, so, I mean, like, I think interesting elements there. I think this is all... uh, I will be more excited than Shannon is. I was equally as burned on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but I'm always willing to get super hyped and then um, be let down. um, Because that is just... It's more fun to be hyped for a year than be cautious. So I'm just going to go all in and say, I think this is going to redeem it all. But uh, I think one of the things that they're doing right is... A lot of times when you're making a movie and, you know, your actor is a little bit older or, uh, you know, somebody died before you got to film something and you just try and work around it. Um, And I think that when you don't try and work around something and you lean into it and make it a part of the story, that's always the better way to go. Um, So leaning into a story where Indy is old and this is at the end of his life, as opposed to trying to just like convince us that Harrison Ford is still in his prime. I think that's a better way to go. In a much sadder version of this, it's what Coogler just did with Wakanda Forever. They didn't try and work around Chadwick Boseman's death. They literally made that the centerpiece of the movie. Yes. And I think that's the emotional heart of the movie. So, you know, a lot of times Hollywood in general wants to be like, oh, everybody just wants everything to be perfect and great and the heroes are amazing and let's just make everything awesome. But I think that when you tell like, these more real stories and wrap all the fun, fantastical action sequences around like a tr- an emotional truth at its core. Yeah. And this emotional truth is Indy's getting old. Uh, <laughs> I That makes me more excited. Like that makes me more stoked for what the story is going to bring. Okay. Um, and so I am optimistic about all of this. I also think that Say what you will about Disney, but in the past few years, uh, they've done a better job with some of the brands that they have inherited than those brands were doing beforehand. Yeah. Not always. It's not not perfect. It's a little hit and miss sometimes, but uh, if you are a Star Wars fan or you are a Marvel fan, like you're eating really well right now. And if you're a Willow fan, you never thought you were going to get another meal. And here we are. So I think they're going to do right by Indy. We'll see how that meal tastes for Willow, for sure. Let me ask you one more question here, Shannon. Right here, Shannon and Michael, that looks like the hint of a wedding ring way at the edge of that picture. A lot of people are speculating that Indy is married, that there's a little bit of the Marion Ravenwood situation, that she's a part of this. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I mean, they did get married at the end of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, much, right. much to much to everyone's chagrin. Like you were just ready to, for that movie to end. Um, uh, th- th- that was a wedding that they closed out on. So right. is Marion still around? Like, I don't know exactly Does he keep how it much- as a memory of her or something. I mean, I, I can't remember when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was set. I know it was in the 50s, but, uh, you right. know, at least at least 10 years has gone past. Right. Um, uh, I, I don't know if has is was Karen and Alan announced to be in the cast of this i don't feel like she was i haven't heard it i don't think i've heard it It, it, okay you think she's part of it i mean if if she is she's not featured at this moment so my my wonder is is they did get married and has has marion passed right now or maybe or maybe just for the events of the movie she's on a very long trip somewhere far away with shy i gotta i gotta check in with marion and mutt (laughs) We just talked well, on the rumors. phone. Yeah, you guys are good. You guys are good. I'm going to space. Got to go by. Click. <laughs> there have been rumors, according to at making Star Wars, Jason Ward's uh, Twitter there. Um, uh, Karen Allen will be returning to her role as Marion Ravenwood. Uh, so we don't know yet. As you said, we haven't seen pictures. We haven't seen evidence. I don't think the studio has officially said that. So um, could be very interesting how they're going to make that play out and 
how do they handle the Shia LaBeouf situation? How do they handle Mutt? Mutt's probably the one who's on a trip longer or something on the other side of the world or something, I would imagine. So um, just, well, just open the movie with, oh, that was a real sad motorcycle accident. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, well, uh, let's uh, take a quick break, and we'll jump into our next thing, because uh, Indiana Jones is right around the corner, of course, next year, and we will see what happens with that. And uh, we'll be right back right after this. Now through June 29th, you can earn up to four times rewards points on your favorite products throughout the store at Safeway. Shop for items like Coca-Cola products, Deer Park Natural Spring Water, Dannon Light and Fit Yogurt, Mott's Original Applesauce, Heinz Ketchup, and McCormick Spices. And earn up to four times bonus reward points to use for discounts on gas or groceries. Visit Safeway.com or download the Safeway For You app to earn your reward points today. Offer valid through June 29th. See store for more details. Oh, someone's teasing something. Shannon, I think you're up with these trailers. What do you got? We got trailers, 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 trailers. It's a Thanksgiving miracle. We get to talk about four today and four very, very different films. We're going to start off with the newest teaser from Pixar for uh for elemental so this is from i believe his name is peter son and brenda sue mm-hmm. uh so he directed the good dinosaur and, and as far yeah um but that 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 film had had a uh, had an interesting uh, uh production life so mm-hmm. uh you know it, it did come out but it follows the characters of ember and Wade in a city where fire, water, land, and air residents live uh, live together. Uh, I'll start off and just say the design of this film looks incredible. I mean, it, not a shock that uh, anytime Pixar uh, has something for us to see, visually, it is very, very impressive. And the idea that this is a world where the elements all live together, you get you get some very kind of you know funny, cute moments. Um, but it, aside from that, it looks like. Uh, uh, it's a very interesting Pixar Pixar choice here, but I'll throw it over to you all first. Like, I'm not so sure about this one, but I'll throw it to you all. What did you think of our first look at Elemental? Mike? Uh, well, I'm really curious as to why you're not sure about it. I think it looks great. I When I heard the idea and when they first showed some of the concept art, it kind of very much was like, okay, well... You got these elements, and like, like it, I don't. This is is this inside Audi? Like it was like I wasn't. You're, you weren't quite sure what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when you watch the trailer, um, I mean, it's kind of like Zootopia with the elements, mm-hmm. uh, which okay. is a you know like that you have, and it, and it's not just. I love the way that they designed the different things. I wasn't sure what elemental characters really were. But we like the way, and like the way that they all look so vastly different. That the air creatures are like clouds, and the earth creatures are like these plants and grass, and the water people are like these aquatic, like 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 we don't and we don't see a lot of fire characters. Ember's the only fire character we see. Don't yeah. know if that is important to the story or not. Are fire people sort of separated? Not really sure. But the uh, the visual, like the art style, the art direction, like it was just gorgeous. It's a very modern looking city, but all the gags were. There, like they did a really good job with like you know all the Pixar gags, like water a water guy trips and like some stuff goes on like an Earth person and they sprout some grass, like right. just like some really fun visual stuff going on. And then ultimately, this is a love story. And I think what's really interesting about this is Disney animation in the past few years 
um, because they are so known for the princess love story where love is the answer to all, they've really moved away from it. You know, I mean, Frozen is really a story about two sisters. Moana is about her journey with her family and her and her island and kind of saving all of the ocean. Um, even Strange World, which is coming out right now, yeah. is a family movie. Encanto, you know, is not a, a romance. It's a family movie. So they're really definitely trying to expand out of the love story. But Pixar which doesn't actually traditionally do a ton of love stories. Mm. Um, Wally is a love story. Toy Story 4 is a love story, but like they don't really go down that road that often. And this seems to be fully going down the romance road. This is what happens when fire and water, two elements that have no business being around each other, fall in love with each other. And I think that's really, really interesting to me. And again, as we say this every time a Pixar movie comes out, if they can hit you with that Pixar twist, where you're like, oh, this is going to be cute. This looks really funny. And then you're bawling at the end of the movie. That's what they're known for. They don't always hit that mark, uh, especially in recent years. But if they can manage to do it, like, I always get excited when a new Pixar. I, I get excited when a sequel comes out. Uh, you know, Toy Story 4, I think, was a lot of fun. I always get excited with, like, returning characters. But whenever Pixar comes out with something that's brand new and wholly original, I get very, very excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, oh, How can I say this? I, I'm kind of a little bit like, let's see what we're going to get. I've enjoyed the Pixar stuff. I think I've been, you know, kind of in the camp of like, I don't think they've dropped off. I can understand why some people might feel that way, but I liked the last few Pixar entries. I did not like Good Dinosaur. And I no. went to the... Uh, Nobody likes Good Dinosaur. Fair enough. I went to the, uh, was it the campus there to cover it way back when for the Schmozno. Uh, and we got to like get exposed to the the photorealistic approach they're doing. They were doing with the animation, the new servers that they built, and so it was an incredible experience. But to have the movie be kind of a disappointment, it made me kind of sour on that director. So maybe this is another chance. Maybe they also felt like you know, they didn't hundred percent get it right, and they like this guy. They like his instincts as a director. So hey, here's something a little bit more interesting, a little bit more fun. Um, and like you said, Mike got a love story here. She's wearing her headphones. She's covering herself. What is that all about? Is she ashamed of being a fire thing or is it more that she's like kind of a uh, introvert, doesn't want to get involved? So what is this all going to lead to? And I imagine fire and water, what's going on in our world nowadays? A lot of tribalism, a lot of people going against each other, you know, just fighting amongst each other. Is this a way to kind of maybe find a way to show that, you know, people from different points of views or different experiences can find a way to co connect and and communicate, whether love story or not, you know, because I imagine there's people connected, both of them who are of the same elements. So that could be interesting to explore in this at all, but a good teaser to like get you an idea of what this world is like with some cute moments, like the, the baby fl uh, pl uh, plants popping out and crying in, in her arms and all out of the potted out of the pots there. That's fun. And all the lipstick going inside, all of that is cool, but I, I want to see more of the story. So yeah. if this is the tease, my excitement of it. I'm in, I just want to see a little bit more down the road. So I like the design and the look of it. Just want to see a little bit more in the next trailer for sure. I do think it's worth mentioning about, look, I don't like Good Dinosaur. I think the only movie that's worse than Good Dinosaur in the Pixar library is Cars 2. But, uh, and Good Dinosaur only wins out because the photorealism is so pretty. It is incredible. But it's not a good movie. Right. But sometimes what happens, and I think this, this is what happened with Good Dinosaur, is particularly in the animation production process of a movie where you're make, working on a movie for four years. I yeah, mean, yeah. before you even, you spend a good year and a half, two years of just developing the story sometimes. And I think this idea of a dinosaur being sort of the main character and yeah. the human being like his pet and this story of like a boy and his dog but flipped had everybody really excited. 
And then I think they went through that development process and they're developing that movie and they got excited about the photorealism. They got excited about the concept and they just never figured out that movie. And you go through, like you basically write a movie, then you storyboard the movie and you put it up. It's called an animatic. If you don't are not an animation nerd, you like an animatic is just all the storyboard with the voice acting, all scenes. You can like watch the movie basically. And when you make a Pixar movie, you do that. You make an animatic like 14, 15, 16 times sometimes. Like you're, you're, you, you fix the movie. You change the movie. You do rewrites. You bring the actors in. You re-record. You do that. And like every animated movie does that. Some movies, it just gets better and better and better and better as you go. Some yeah. movies, you're like, oh, this doesn't work. Let's pull back. Let's try and fix this. Let's pull back and try and fix this. And when you watch Good Dinosaur, if you're an animation person, you can definitely see that this was a movie where they were trying and trying and trying and trying to find this story, and they just never really found it. And that's not always the director's fault. Like, that's just like, they, like, they might have been like, look, this is, a, this is a great director. This person has a great sense of story. Right they were just in a real bad situation. So it'll be interesting to see. Like now if Elemental comes out and it's a complete disaster, then you're like, okay, well maybe it was a director. But I think, uh, <laughs> I think I, I would, I, I'm not holding good dinosaur against them. Uh, right. So we'll see. Okay. Fair enough. Well, and also Peter, Peter Sohn, the director was the voice of socks in Lightyear. <laughs> so the, he right. was the best part of Lightyear by far, but yeah, yeah. no matter how you feel about Elemental right now, it is coming out June 16th next summer so our next film is a doozy it is called inside and it stars willem dafoe it basically looks like his his swing at castaway but instead of uh crashing onto a deserted island he's an high-end art thief who gets stuck in a penthouse filled with priceless art but at the same time he triggers some sort of alarm and he cannot get out and you see his sort of uh uh, slow descent into madness. So I'll throw it over to you all. What did you all think of our first look at Inside? Yeah, I mean, this film is working on a number of levels, but I just am happy that Willem Dafoe can still lead movies. Like that movies, like uh, studios or directors are still like excited to work with him and have him lead films. And films like this, you know, don't forget when you go all the way back to his training there in Chicago, he was part of the foundational piece of that ex- experimental theater that comes that comes out of Chicago. And so him exploring something like this is so much in his wheelhouse as he becomes, you know, more and more insane of the situation that's happening and how to figure it all out. Plus, he's surrounded by this art. So this idea that he is being essentially called out uh, for being this thief and also the stuff that is around him is the stuff that he's been stealing. It's the stuff that's driving him mad, almost in a vengeance type of, type of way. Is they, I mean, the idea of the bird being out there kind of teasing him a little bit, I thought was hilarious. I mean, the fish thing, the symbolism all there. So what's it trying to say, I guess, is what I'm wondering in the end. And him like drawing that circle over, like what is what is he trying to figure out about himself or about his world I find that to be very interesting to see where we're going to go with this. And he's such a perfect actor to put in a film like this. If you're trying to say something about being stuck in the situations of our lives, whether you're a criminal or not a criminal, what it can lead to and the dangerous places you can go if you let it keep happening in that way. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's just simply like, get me the fuck out of here for two hours. But overall, I feel like there's something going on here. That's pretty um, uh, pretty deep, and I love that they're using Willem Dafoe for this because it's so in his wheelhouse. I mean, I think you're right. I think on the one hand, I think on the one hand, it's definitely you know just a very basic like you are trapped, you can't get out. How do you survive? How do you escape? But yeah. clearly, yeah. there's more going on when you look at the trailer. I just love. 
that somebody was like, all right, guys, we got this movie. It's about a art thief who gets trapped and goes batshit yeah. fucking crazy. Who can we get? <laughs> and they were like, guys, Willem Dafoe. Because Willem he Dafoe. plays crazy so well i mean look it like spider-man no way home redeemed the green goblin and like let him just go ape shit and you're like all right yeah you're the scariest spider-man villain by far now and now we have him in this movie where it just looks like this is one of those movies where you were like all right i know sometimes they're trying to keep you on the we- the leash will but uh yeah. fucking go nuts <laughs> just go for it and it really just looks like like the craziest movie. Uh, I can't wait to see it. Although I feel like it's going to make me deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what, the, the most uncomfortable part that I found in the trailer is when he's having to feast on those tropical fish. Yeah, it sure looked. It sure looked like the fish he voiced from Finding Nemo. Oh yeah, Gil. All right, Gil. Oh my God, I would love it if there's like these little asides or references to movies that he's been in. And then you find out this is like this. We're inside Willem Dafoe's head the whole time. That would be <laughs> oh my God. genius to make. That's that. what that's what the inside means. Well, we'll find out if the outlaws prediction comes true on <laughs> March 10th, 2023. Our see. next trailer. I'm going to take a little personal glee here because when we're talking about what we're going to talk about for, for this week's shows, we'll text topics to each other. I saw this trailer for 80 for Brady and I was like okay this is kind of funny and like we don't have a ton of geeky trailers to talk about this week so I sent the link to these two gentlemen immediately instantly I get an ugh in response I'll give you I'll give you two guesses who you think it was you're only gonna need one but luckily the other geek buddy watched the trailer and just talked about how funny he thought it was and then this morning right before we started recording geek buddy x will call them actually geek buddy v will call them it was like all right i guess this was a sports sports movie made for me again yeah. i'm not saying who geek buddy v is no no but 80 no, no. for brady <laughs> Jane Fonda, Sally Field, Rita Moreno, Lily Tomlin, for elderly super fans of Tom Brady try to make it to us try to make it to the Super Bowl. I think this looks so stupidly funny. <laughs> but I'll throw it, I'll throw it over to you guys and to Geek Buddy V. What did we think of our first look at 80 for Brady? <laughs> look, here's the thing. You send me a movie. <laughs> You send me a movie trailer that looks like it's about the sports. And I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. Even though I do love sports movies. Like, I love Field of Dreams. I love Tin Cup. I love Major League. I, like, I could go down the list of sports movies. Friday Night Lights is one of my favorite TV shows. But when you send me a trailer about the sports, my initial reaction is, uh. Send me a, a movie about Tom Brady. I'm like, oh, God, what is this going to be? And I didn't actually – I was very busy yesterday. I'm trying to wrap things up before Thanksgiving. Sure. I didn't really watch the trailer. And then I watched the trailer. And then I was like, oh, somebody in Hollywood was like, how do we bring the homosexuals to the sports movies? <laughs> <laughs> um, this looks great. I mean, this looks absolutely fantastic. This is this is a cast that I can definitely get behind. Um, and it just looks – like it, it is very much um in the vein of like a uh, a crazy comedy from the 2000s like it's a like it's a yeah. very simple it's a very simple concept they want to go to the game they don't have tickets how do they get them hijinks ensue there is hot sauce there is drugs there is billy porter and a dance number i mean like there is guy if, fieri if son 
There's Guy Fieri. Like it, Guy it just looks Guy Fieri's. Yes. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to see these four in a movie? Like Lily yeah. Tomlin and Jane Fonda can literally do no wrong. Rita Moreno is amazing. Like, and then Sally Field, who is my absolute favorite of all favorites. Wow. Um, so yeah, I am. I am uh, first in line. I sent it. I sent it to my gay text chain after I watched it this morning. But before we did gave Geek Buddies, and I was like, guys, they finally made a sports movie for us. And everyone was like, when are we going? Let's buy the tickets. So you're. I I yeah. can admit when I'm wrong. It doesn't happen often, but I was wrong about this trailer and I'm very excited about it. I mean, I didn't say it was you, but anyways. Yeah, right. Um, I feel like you I feel like they should clip this out and send it to the studio and be like, a mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, this trailer, look, uh, my girlfriend loves every single actress in this trailer and she hates Tom Brady. And even she was like, I'm going to have to watch this. You know? And so it's hilarious that it can get even her across the line for sure. Yeah, this I mean this and I think this is, this says something the studio thinks there are people out there who will go see these movies. You know, we've seen The Book Club, we've seen some other films over the last few years that have really catered to the older women or the older uh gener- the older generation there who does still go to movies. If you're taking your grandfather or your grandmother to the movie, your mom and dad who's of age, maybe they'll want to come see this. You combine it with something like Tom Brady who is still in the news, still around playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this time around, you connect it to the glory days of the Patriots when they were winning Super Bowls. Makes a lot of sense. Plus, it's based on a true story. So there's yeah. a lot of elements here that I think could work in such a positive way. This could sneakily come in here and make a lot of money. Not, you know, a billion, but like certainly a good amount of money for the the amount of money they spent on the film. And if they get the script right and they get the moments right, people will love this film and champion this film and go see it multiple times so it's a, it's a smart chance to take because i bet the budget's not that high none of those ladies are commanding top dollar so it's a smart move and they probably all love the fact that they could all work together on a film like this and have some fun with it as well and there are some really funny moments in the trailer so we'll see if that's the all funny the only funny Ooh. moments in the movie overall but i yeah it looks like a lot of fun this is one that i could definitely get behind because of the football connection but also because of the talent the top line a line talent of all four of these ladies leading the way but it's a good point because we talked i mean we talked about this a few weeks ago that one of the problems that studios are having right now is we'll all go to a movie for a tentpole movie like we're all going to go see indiana jones we're all going to the new marvel movie we are all like there are certain movies that the studios know audiences will go to a theater to go see they know we're all going to see wakanda forever but a lot of the comedies, a lot of the romances, a lot of the smaller movies, people are just not going to the movies for it. They're waiting until they can watch it on streaming. We know that the window is much closer. We know that we can either rent a movie for 20 bucks at home a couple weeks after it came out or see it on a streaming platform like four, four months after it came out. So people aren't going out. Yeah. So when a trailer like this comes along where the three of us are all like, oh, okay. I mean, after I watched it, the three of us are like, oh, let's talk about it this is good like this is a movie that automatically carries a level of buzz because it's for women you don't expect to see in a movie like this it's the tom brady thing it's like you know like there's so many elements to this that this could be one of those movies that people will be like oh i'll go see this in the theater like this is a fun friday night with my friends we're gonna go out and see this and if it does do well and it does have that box office there will be a thousand articles about well why did this comedy get people into theaters when all the other comedies didn't. And it's really interesting just like, cause it has that extra little 
buzz to it that a lot of comedy trailers right now don't. Yeah, and you say and, that, Mike. So, oh, sorry, Shannon, real quick. You no, say no, that, Mike. No, go ahead, Johnny. As she said, has bo- bo- bombed at the box office with 2.2 million, and that's an excellent movie. You're right. Studios are trying to figure out how do we crack this code yeah. to get people to come in to see these movies that are not horror movies and not superhero movies. How do we get them in? So it's an excellent point you make there, Mike. Uh, sorry, Shannon, go ahead. Well, no, and I was going to say part of the, part of the really smart uh, uh, release strategy is this is coming out a week and a half before the Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. And oh my God. D- you know, depending, you know, a lot of sports movies. You know, we we have a lot of sports movies. Are they always centered around one singular event like this? Not always. So the yeah. fact that they, you know, everyone is going to be at least football fans are going to be so into what's going to happen, and you know, a couple of Sundays later, yeah. getting a chance to see basically a road trip comedy with four incredibly funny actresses trying to get to the Super Bowl. This seems like just kind of a no-brainer and so as i said february 3rd is when it's coming out yeah and just showing that you know life doesn't end when you become 70 or or 80 or whatever like you know you've got you've got the sexual stuff with the gronk fan fiction you've got the drug stuff you've got them not wanting to be part of just you know, let's go to classes and let's just do the routine they want to break out they want to do something crazy and i think that's a good message overall Sorry, sorry, sorry. Anyway, I didn't think we talked this much about this damn movie. All right, let's move on. <laughs> well, our last trailer, hopefully, the last trailer for this movie. It better be, for God's sakes. <laughs> we got the final trailer for Avatar The Way of Water. At this point, uh, your mind is made up of whether you're going to see this or not. I imagine most people are going to see it. Your mind is probably also made up whether or not you're excited for it. You might not be that excited for it and are still going to go see it like me. Um, So we get to see, we got to see, you know, even more, we get to see uh, uh, the, you know, the Sully's tribe come together with the water tribe, the differences in those two cultures. You get to see some more sort of spectacular visuals. So gentlemen, what did we think of God? Fingers crossed our last look at avatar, the way of water. I'll just say real quick, loved it, enjoyed it. I'm in. They already came out today with projections, 150 to $175 million for opening. You're all fucking insane. It's going to break way more, $200 million at least in its opening, if not more. Uh, so to me, this film, just the look of it looks great. I liked it. The connect- we talked about family, as Michael was mentioning earlier with Disney and Pixar. We talk about this idea of people coming together to fight against a common cause. We're seeing that in Andor. We're seeing that here a little bit in the 80 for Brady and that they're trying to break out of their humdrum lives. We see here this connection with the family teaching each other, teach, you know, supporting each other, fighting these uh, fighting these uh, evil, you know, elements of the human race to come in together to trying to take what they have there. And the expansiveness of the world in this trailer is much we see much more of it here. And I think uh, we finally got a good, good idea of what we're going to get in this movie. Uh, sorry. Anyway, Mike, your thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I think the, you know, we talked about, should we even talk about this trailer? Because we've all said that we're excited or not excited about it. We've all talked about how we feel about it. But I do think what's interesting is this is the first trailer where we've gotten much more of a sense of what the story is. That Jake and Atiri take their family, go to another tribe, and they're clearly, like, on the run and have to live with this tribe. And more importantly, Jake's son, or Jake and Atiri's son starts a romance with the daughter of the chief, it looks like. And is basically filling in for the role that Jake played in the first movie, like where Jake had to sort of like join the tribe and Atiri had to show him the way flying the Ikrons and doing everything else. Now Jake's son is doing the same thing, but with the water. Now you might be sitting there saying, well, that sounds like it's just a repeat of the first movie. And I would say in response to that, you are probably right. But James Cameron's aliens 
is basically a repeat of Alien, just bigger and badder. And Terminator 2 is basically Terminator 1, but better. So James Cameron's track record of going, I'm going to use the same blueprint, but I am going to double down on this and make everything huge, is pretty good since those are two of the greatest sequels of all time. So do I think Avatar 2 is going to be the greatest sequel of all time? I don't think I'll go that far. But as I have said a thousand times, you are dumb if you bet against James Cameron. Somewhere James just, Cameron just woke up and was like, they found me out. They found me out. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I want to see him throwing a script against the wall. And on the front, it says, Ty Tunic. So <laughs> December 16th <laughs> is when Avatar The Way of Water comes out. Now I know why he wanted his tuck for 80 for Brady. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back right after this with Michael's topic. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. I like it. I like it. All right, Mikey, take us into the Spider-Verse. I mean, look, like, you want to talk about Thanksgiving. Like, this is a bit, like, we've got four trailers. We got indie. We got a director and a writer on a Blade movie that sounds like it's going to be pretty awesome. So there is a lot to be thankful for if you are a geek. And another thing to be thankful for is that we are getting a sequel to Spider-Verse, which is one of the greatest animated movies of all time. In addition to that, Phil Lord and Chris Miller... Uh, said to Empire Magazine this past week that the movie is going to have six different animation styles in it, which is bonkers. Um, They released a new image, which was a close-up of a Spider-Man mask that looks a little bit different from the Spider-Man mask that we know. But uh, as far as 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 talking about the new animation styles, um, they kind of talked a lot about Mitchells versus the Machines, which Mm. Sony released last year, which they were producers on, which if you haven't seen... You should absolutely check out. It is a fantastic movie. Um, but they talk when they're talking about Spider-Verse, they said that the first film had one animation style that dominates the movie. This movie has six. So we're taking those tools, adding things we learned on Mitchell's versus the Machines, and growing them further to accommodate the ambition of the movie, which is to wow you every time you enter a new environment, and also to make sure that the style of the movie reflects the story and that the images are driven by feelings as opposed to some egg-headed art project, which this movie also is. <laughs> um, and, you know, they point out that in the first movie... We are in Miles' universe the entire time. So Gwen comes to his universe, Spider-Man Noir, like each of the characters comes into the universe and each of the characters is in a different animation style, slightly. Um, So this movie is much more about Miles traveling the Spider-Verse. So as we go to all these different worlds, Miles is entering these worlds and entering those animation styles. So I think that's where we're going to get these six animation styles. And just the fact that they came out, you know, when Spider-Verse came out, it just blew everyone away because it didn't look like anything else out there. And the fact that they are doubling down and making a movie that they were like, well, we wowed you the first time and we want to make sure that we're going to continue to wow you multiple times in this movie gets me excited. And it gets me more excited that they actually specifically say that all of those styles and all of the choices that they're making are tied to emotion, not just, Oh, wow, look what we can do. So I think this is really exciting. Obviously we're all excited for the sequel uh every little bit of news kind of like shannon was saying with indy gets me even more stoked but gentlemen what do you think about this oh yeah i mean i'm crazy excited and, and christopher miller said in that uh, interview with empire he's talking about in the teaser trailer you saw earth five zero five zero one zero one which we're calling mumbatan which is based on the indian comic book look and then you've got nova york from spider-man 2099 then there's uh, uh gwen's world which is earth 65 and then that watercolor stuff, where have we seen the watercolor before? 
which is reminiscent of her comic books. And you know, so there's so many different worlds that we're going to explore. It makes sense to have these different styles of animation, just like it did when you were watching Multiverse of Madness and you were going through all those different universes. They all had a different style to them. So it just makes all kinds of sense to kind of explore that from an animated style. And, you know, I'm coming to it as a, I am not an animation guy. I don't work in animation like you two. So for me, the idea of seeing different styles and approaches, that excites me more in an animated uh, situation than it does in a live action situation. Because I know there's technicians, this is going to have style, complete style with each of them that is commandeered by a few people who understand that style really well. So I'm very excited. And you know the fans of those com- uh, animation styles are going to be looking with eagle eyes to make sure they get it right. But the mm-hmm. representation is also a powerful thing here to see of their style of animation that they like. Yeah, I think this is so, this is so, so cool. I mean, one of the uh, uh, most, you know, the visually di- dynamic things about Spider-Verse was each of the spider characters that came in, like, yes, they did have their own visual style, but also, and like, you know, this was told to me later that after Miles's bit, they adjusted the frame rate for his character. So Mm -hmm. after he gets his spider powers, he moves differently. And I'm like, oh my God, that is such a, that is, that is such an, that is such an interesting idea that um, I never, I never would have thought of. I mean, the way that I came into animation was through writing. Like I, I liked animation, but I don't, I don't know anything about the art. I mean, I know when I'm writing, (laughs) I, I talk about how I see, how I see things visually. But in terms of breaking down, like, oh, it should be this style. It should be that style. Like right over my head. That's that's why I work for people like that guy. Um, But knowing that, you know, them going in and making this choice, how each different world they're going to go to is going to have its own style. And like we saw that in one of the trailers when we got to see uh, the uh, what is it? Spider-Man with the Oscar Isaac Spider-Man. What's the 2099? That one. Um, Like we got to see a little bit of that in one of the trailers. And. Into the Spider-Verse was one of those movies that I had heard it was good, watched it once. I was like, oh, my God, that was that was fantastic. And then that's one of those movies that I went to go see again and again and again and again. I think I put movie pass out of business by going to see that movie <laughs> at well, least somebody once sure a- did <laughs> <laughs> at least once a week. Uh-huh. So knowing how how much more. I don't, I don't know if it would be called creative freedom, but how much more the company is behind it and how much more money they're probably going to put into it. I mean, I think this is one of those situations where it's, it's only going to get better and better and better. So I'm super excited to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. I mean, I'm, I've, I've already expressed my excitement. Yeah, I'm in. Usually you usually have to wrap up your own subject here. Oh, okay, okay, guys. I'm still, I, was thinking about, I was thinking about 80 for Brady. I was thinking about 80 for Brady. It's, uh, sorry. I was, I, really, I was really into it. Um, no, like, Let's I see think, the six animation styles of 80 for Brady. <laughs> I mean, listen. That, that, then, it's, then it's all my movie. Um, no, it's, look, I think that... Uh, one of the things that happens a lot in animation, because you have so many people that are like technical experts that are always pushing the boundaries of what you can do. And then you have, like Shannon said, you have the storytellers that are really focused on character and emotion and whatever. And sometimes those two things don't always come together. We were just talking about Good Dinosaur. Technically, Good Dinosaur is a stunning achievement yes. with photorealistic Agreed. backgrounds yeah. and everything is amazing. The story just didn't catch up. Um, and I think what really is the magic of animation is when the visual technical side of the storytelling and what you can do and what you're able to do is married with a strong emotional story. 
Um, and I think that's exa exactly what they did with the first movie. So the fact that they're doubling down on that with the second movie, it just seems right. So I'm, I'm, I'm super, super excited. And we will all find out how all of these styles look when the movie is released on June 2nd. So summer movies are going to be amazing. Get ready. It's going to be awesome. He got there, folks. All right. Well, thanks so much. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to jump into our main topic, uh, which is the Bob Chapek, Bob Iger situation that's gone down in Disney and the subsequent updates that have happened throughout the week. So this is not an old subject we're talking about from Monday. There have been updates since Monday about stuff that Iger is already doing. We're going to get into all of that here right after this. That's good. That's good, man. All right, let's dive into this. Uh, one of the most shocking uh, moments in, in recent years in entertainment happened on Sunday night, and I don't mean the Elton John live concert from uh, Dodger Stadium, which you can watch my live watch along here on the channel. But this, there was an incredible situation that happened just before the concert uh, came off, and it was that Bob Chapek was immediately fired as CEO of Disney, and Bob Iger, who had been out for about two years, was asked to come back and agreed to come back. He's going to be paid about $27 million this year if you factor in all the uh, possible bonuses he can get. He left with a $46 million parachute a couple of years ago. So, son, that's you're doing something right. And Bob Iger had, had been kind of sniffing around owning a sports franchise or being part of a group of people that own sports franchise. He was also looking at uh, possibly being in charge of a company that was handling some entertainment stuff, getting into the combination of sports and entertainment, figuring out if he was going to be a part of that. And all of this is said, from what I've read, to have come together over the last 10 days to two weeks. And this decision was made because the higher-ups in Disney who were underneath Bob Chapek had turned on Chapek. There had been a number of higher-ups in Disney executives-wise executives -wise, who had turned on Chapek. Combined with the loss in the stock price, combined with the numbers being down for the previous quarter, combined with the missteps ha that happened with Black Widow and Scarlett Johansson, combined with the Disney parks feeling like the fans are starting to feel like they're being gouged for every little thing, and combined with some of the other missteps that he made during his tenure, the decision was made quickly. There is no, and it blindsided Chapek completely. His other second in command, Kareem Daniel, was immediately let go the next day as well. So this was a hell of a shot. I compared it to Pesci and Goodfellas. Thought he was going to get made. He got shot in the head. And that's the situation that it feels like when you look at this. So, gentlemen, your thoughts on this and the far-reaching, I don't know, consequences or results of this decision for Disney and why they felt it was this was the time after they had just re-upped Bob Chapek in June to a three-year contract. I mean, just to like set the stage here, like this is so unprecedented. Like this is right. so crazy. Like to have it happen so um, dramatically. Yeah. Uh, to have a CEO of a company as big as Disney be ousted so dramatically and to have the old CEO who left come back in for a two-year stint to sort of set things back to rights and find his next successor. Like, basically, he's coming in to get Disney back on track and find the person that should be leading the company so he can get out again. Um, it is such a interesting thing. And, you know, most of the time with a company, one CEO goes, another CEO comes in. It's not necessarily, like, huge geek news. Right. But when it comes to Disney... And when it comes to how public facing the company is, and when it comes to all the things that Iger did so well, 
and all the things that Chapek stumbled over so publicly to do wrong, it really is shocking. And you know, you're talking about the Elton John concert on Sunday night. It is kind of part of that because apparently yep. Bob Chapek was supposed to introduce Elton John on stage live on Disney Plus. Yep. A bunch of executives were at the concert expecting Bob Chapek to come out, got the email with the press release, yep. and then someone else came out and introduced Elton John. Like that is how dramatic this was. Uh, you know, I have a lot of friends who work at Disney and I was asking them on Monday, I was on a plane and I'll tell you this, I was on a plane coming back from Orlando. I was sitting, reading my book and a friend of mine came up with his laptop, flipped it around, showed me the headline on deadline. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And the woman sitting next to me was like, is that serious? And turned around and started like, the entire plane started talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And when you look at Twitter, when you look at everything, talking to my friends who work at Disney, the joy that people have about this news, <laughs> how happy it is. I mean, dude, I, I, somebody put Chapek on suicide watch because if, if Twitter turned on me the way they turned on him Sunday night, like <laughs> I would feel, I, I would have some feelings about it. But yeah. like when you think about what Iger did in his tenure, I mean, like just on the, on the broadest strokes, um, you know, fixed the relationship with Pixar, brought Pixar into Disney officially, bought Marvel, bought Star Wars, yeah. started Disney Plus. You look at what Disney is doing right now and you're like, he shaped this. Whereas Chapek came in and as John pretty well uh, outlined, you know, got in a fight with Scarlett Johansson, didn't know that he should stand up for his gay employees, uh, yeah. told everybody that adults don't watch animation. I mean, just like one thing after another thing. So it's really, yeah. it's no wonder that they turned on him. I think what, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I would love to be a fly on the wall. Like, yes, they renewed his contract. I think that there was just a, look, there's a momentum to corporate life where you're like, well, this is the choice we made. Let's keep going. We'll re-up him. We'll, we'll spend the next three years figuring it out. And then something happened where somebody was like, fuck it, pay him out for those three years. We got to get him the fuck out of here. Um, <laughs> and it is, a lot of it probably was stock price. A lot of it yep. was them looking at what's going on with Disney, uh, sort of the public sentiment towards Disney. But it's going to be really interesting to see what Iger does in the next few months, in the next year, in order to write the ship. Because uh, yeah. we, we've all talked extensively every time Chapek has fumbled on, well, Iger would have done this, Iger would have done that. Iger gets to prove that now, and it'll be yeah. interesting to see if he can. Like, if this next two years we go, oh, wow, he really is that good, he turned things around. Or if we're going to go, oh, okay, I mean, he did a lot of good stuff, but Disney still seems like it's going in the wrong direction. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, it's not unprecedented. Uh, real quick, Shannon, it's not unprecedented for this to happen. Steve Jobs came back after yeah. a 12 year absence. Uh, certainly, uh, the gentleman who runs uh, Starbucks came back a few years. The guy who runs Chipotle came back after there was all that drama around Chipotle, the controversy about their food content. So, so companies relying on someone who shepherded them through to success is not unheard of just to have it in such a brutal fashion with someone right. that was the hand picked successor. Bob Iger, that's how they promoted this, that Bob Iger had chosen this guy himself. But according to numerous reports that came that have been coming out the last few days, he apparently was over Chapek's shoulder and was getting reports from people under Chapek who had previously been loyal to him uh, about the reports of his leadership style and the mistakes that were going on here behind the scenes. So certainly it wasn't like Iger disconnected and walked away and lived in a cabin in the mountain. He was aware of what was happening and was not shy about expressing certain passive aggressive comments in interviews about how Chapik was doing things. So 
What was your reaction, Shannon? What do you think about all of this and the ramifications of it? I mean, I think I th- it was definitely unprecedented that it was done on a Sunday night. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the, the, the fact that in the, you know, at the, the end of the weekend uh, in an e- at night that they yeah. felt the need, like this is, it seemed like the, the, the folks that the board um, felt like this was a change that needed to happen ASAP. Um, you know, I, Prior to uh, his promotion, like I had never heard the name Bob Chapek, but like Vogel, I do have a few friends who work at Disney and hearing about, you know, Iger was going to be retiring. This guy, Bob Chapek, was was his handpicked successor. Yeah. Asking them their opinions. There was not a semblance of of optimism. It's like this is a money guy. He doesn't understand the creative aspect of what makes this what makes this uh, company so special. And we started to see that kind of right away. I mean, and Chapek or excuse me, uh, uh, Bob Iger would even say in interviews like foster those relationships with the creatives. Like this is something you need to have. You have to make sure that, you know, your, your, your working relationship with them is good. And, you know, right off the bat, you know, he has this very public, uh, public spat over the Black Widow release with Scarlett Johansson. And it just seemed like looking at the traits of Bob Iger or other creative friendly folks like a Kevin Feige, um, that Chapik didn't really seem to have that. Like there, in interviews, there's definitely a, I don't know if I would call it a coldness, but I mean, it definitely didn't have that warmth that Iger kind of projected. This uh, this love that he has for what he's doing. And you know what? That could all be performative. Maybe maybe Chapik just sure. wasn't. But it works. You know, yeah, he's just he's just not that guy. And Iger knows how, knows how to perform for the cameras. Yeah. But I mean, when you look at, Iger coming back. I mean, you know, he left Disney in a very good place. I mean, he has a legacy to protect and his first order of business is to basically dismantle what Chapik had, had set up in, in sort of his reign. It it, it kind of speaks volumes to their relationship. Yeah. I'm going to get the name wrong and I'm not going to get this right. And my friends who work at Disney can feel free to correct me in the comments below, but broad strokes, uh, you know, one of the things that Chapik did that kind of is, this kind of represents the whole of what Shannon is talking about is yeah. he kind of put together a group called DMED or I forget the exact name, but basically it was a group of people that made all the decisions about all of the stuff coming out of the different creative groups, because you've got Disney features, you've got Disney animation, you've got Disney TV animation, you've got, you've got Disney plus over here, you've got all these different groups. And it was this separate group that sort of looked at everything and decided, well, this is going to go here and this is going to go yeah. here and this is a feature release and this is a Disney plus release, and whatever. But that wasn't necessarily the creative people making the decisions. Yeah. And the, one of the first things that Iger did is just, he's dismantling that entire group. Like yep. that entire thing is going away. And the choices of what's going where and what's being developed for where and how we're doing, how they're doing things uh, is going back to the creatives. And so, yeah, Shannon's absolutely right. Like Iger might be as cold a son of a bitch as Chapek appears to be, but he does really, really well in interviews. He, he does a really good job of being the face of Disney. But even internally, when you talk to people, yeah. there is a warmth that the people within the company who have to work with the CEO have for Iger that they didn't have for Chapek that I think is really telling. Yeah, just to clarify this uh, for some people, uh, he's getting a $1 million base salary, and uh, he's also getting a possible annual bonus for compensation of up to a million dollars. 
with an annual incentive based award uh, with a target value of 25 million. So that's how we can get to that 27 million. And Chapek right now, uh, from what I'm reading in some of these reports, he is owed 20 million for the firing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but he the, there's already rumbles. He hasn't publicly said anything. There's already rumbles that he might be um, suing Disney for uh, firing without cause. And so that's going to be even messier, possibly. So this is, I don't think this um, situation with Chapek is over by a long shot because certainly there's an embarrassment factor that goes on with this when you're that high. Usually they give you a golden parachute, you know, to kind of help, like with Amy Pascal in those emails when that all kind of blew up and she had to leave her official position on, at, on Sony. They gave her a producing deal. Jeff Johns got a producing deal when he left WB Discovery. Hamada did not, and now Hamada's over at Paramount doing his thing. So we we see sometimes when there's not um, issues between them, there's usually a golden parachute as a thank you for doing this. There seems to be just the $20 million, boom, you're done. Chapek is probably going to want much more than this. And, you know, you don't want to take too – you don't want to be unfair to Chapek. So be, you know, give the whole picture here. He did do a good job at Disney Plus, shepherding mm-hmm. Disney Plus. The guy was a direct-to-consumer guy. There is a success story to be written about what he, how he was able to navigate the pandemic or navigate Disney, rather, through the pandemic in a successful way. But one of the things that was biting him now was that the numbers were starting to go down, the profits were starting to go down, and he was seeing an end, and Disney was seeing an end to the possibility of the numbers and the subscribers and the money coming from streaming uh, to uh, prop up this success of Bob Chapek overall. And he was looking to counter with that the loss of money at hiring freezes, layoffs, and he was moving 2,000 employees, I think, from California to Florida, Florida, California, oh, mandating yeah. that they move in order to keep their job. So all of that leaving bad taste in the mouths in multiple sections of the Disney uh, empire. I mean, and again, it'll be interesting to see what Iger does. Like, Iger part of Iger's success was spending a massive amount of money. Right. Like they spent a ton of money on Star Wars. They spent a ton of money on Marvel, but it's not, it's inarguable that those investments weren't smart. When you look at what those, what that IP, what those characters have done for the company in the feature department on Disney plus in the consumer products department at the Disney parks, like that amount of money that you spent, made them money what chapek did to your point is let's let's close these buildings in glendale and move everyone to orlando because we already have the land there and it's cheaper let's cut costs here let's raise costs at the parks for that so it's going to be interesting to see if Iger continues to try and cut costs to save money or if he does what he did previously where he kind of comes out swinging and makes some really big bold moves that cost more money but ultimately in the long run turn things around for disney plus turn things around for the park so yeah it you know it's anybody's guess what's going to happen i mean i think the thing we can say with certainty is disney's not going anywhere anytime soon but in the short term for the investors for everybody else what those decisions mean it's going to be really really fascinating yeah um shannon yeah go ahead sorry go ahead. well no i was gonna say um you know and, and disney's as a company is no stranger to uh, uh ceo power struggles yeah certainly. um <laughs> you know right. going back to like the age of michael eisner there's yeah. actually i was pulling up my uh, i was pulling up my uh, uh audible app here and there was a book called disney war i don't know if you ever read this vogel um mm-hmm. but by i think it's james b stewart um, but it, it it sort of chronicles uh, the uh, ascendance of Eisner and the decline as well. I mean, and it it's a it is a fascinating, fascinating 
read, listen, um, and knowing who Bob Iger became, listening to sort of his beginnings at the company, it's really fascinating. So if uh, for any of our listeners, if you have if you have any road trips coming up, if you're driving for Thanksgiving, Disney War is um, a really, yeah. really fascinating read. I mean, yeah, people, most people don't know the name Frank G. Wells, but like if you really go back to the Disney War and that whole era, it was, you know, it was Eisner, Katzenberg, Frank G. Wells. And when Frank G. Wells tragically died uh, in a helicopter accident, there was no buffer between Katzenberg and Eisner, and that's when everything turned. And it was a, it's a fascinating power struggle in the midst of Disney's biggest success with Lion King making more money than any animated movie. And what's happening right now with Iger and Chapek and just the dramatic nature of all of it, it's like the Katzenberg-Eisner stuff all over again. That's a great point you bring up because, I mean, looking at IndieWire's breakdown of this from Wilson Chapman, he talks about that, that the relationship between Iger and Chapek began fracturing early on when Chapek was promoted from his role as Disney Disney Parks and Resorts chairman to CEO and Iger stepped down. At the time, the plan was for Iger's role to be hands-off, but the pandemic caused them to kind of start to work together because they had to figure this thing out and navigate it. Chapek planned to respond to the pandemic quickly by laying off thousands of workers at Disney's theme parks. Iger wanted to wait until Congress's CARES Act was signed into law, potentially giving any laid-off employee protections to help them during unemployment. Iger wow. eventually overruled Chapek with the board, convincing the board it was better to wait until the CARES Act was passed. And that's the kind of callousness that you sometimes see from these money people who get in charge of a company. They look at human beings as just uh, things on a ledger. They don't look at the actual ramifications and the negativity that you can engender amongst the workforce if you treat them badly. And certainly JPEG is one of those people that uh, um, does not give a shit about that, clearly, and Iger does. And I think this is important to note because as, as we were talking before we started the show, some of the people online who are not that knowledgeable about this situation are now claiming that it was because Disney became too woke under Chapek that that's the reason Chapek was leaving. There's no one less woke than Chapek. It's the most ridiculous, stupid idea that I've ever heard in my life. Iger's going to come in and continue this in a better way, in a better fashion, in a less clumsy fashion. And I think that's going to be a positive going forward down the road as well. He understands how to read the the winds, the changing winds in entertainment, the changing winds in the audience. The colors and, of the wind, you might say. <laughs> that's a good reference there. Um, but yes, and Michael, to swing back to your point about purchases, another element of this that people are starting to talk about as I'm listening to podcasts about this and, and reading some breakdowns of this is that there's rumors that Disney is looking at buying Netflix. Well, who has helped you buy big uh, big uh, companies like Marvel, like Star Wars, or like Lucasfilm? Bob Iger. So this idea of possibly selling ESPN to buy Netflix and then uh, maybe even move Netflix towards some sports content like you're seeing happening now with Prime Video doing the NFLs on Thursday night exclusively on Prime Video, their MLS deal they just signed. So... There's a lot of rumors bubbling around. So do you guys think that they'll buy Netflix, maybe sell ESPN and make that kind of change with Netflix or keep ESPN and buy Netflix and somehow save Netflix while they're also trying to kind of turn around some of the things that JPEG did uh, for to bring success back to the company? I, I don't, I mean, we'll see. It, like who, yeah. whoever would have thought they would have bought Star Wars and Marvel. But right. I think that right now their biggest problem is keeping Disney plus profitable, figuring out what they're doing with Hulu. Yeah. Like 
they are not at a loss for streaming platforms. So buying another right. streaming another platform, right. uh, buying another streaming platform that you have to produce content for and right. manage all the people and manage the company. And like, it doesn't necessarily on the face of it seem like that makes a ton of sense, yeah. but Hey, who knows, man? Like it is, it is from a corporate standpoint, it is the wild fucking West right now. Like who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. I think with them already owning Disney plus and Hulu, merging acquiring netflix i would think some antitrust things would probably come into play but also there was a room and it was you know people speculating online that apple was looking at buying disney yes that was in (laughs) play yes which it's like oh my gosh can you imagine (laughs) that might have been an element of this where the board uh and and the cfo because apparently the cfo was one of these people on board with getting rid of Chapek, she went to the board and said, this has got to stop. We've got, we're losing, we're, you know, we're getting gouged here. Maybe that was a, a, a concern here that we were going to get bought by Apple. Disney would cease to exist as Disney autonomous Disney. It would be owned by Apple, told by Apple what to do and, and used by that I think would have been an insane situation to have happen uh, overall to be Apple, the one that consumes Disney. Yeah, that would be pretty bananas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll go back to you guys on this. Uh, maybe one more point to talk about here. Is this going to work? Is this going to work? Because the CEO's coming back is pretty much a mixed result if you study across business, mm-hmm. how it's worked and not worked depending on the on the company and the business and the situations. Obviously, every per, every set of factors is different here. But is it going to work? I think that's the number one thing. Is there an, I mean, phase four has got some negative connotations to it, but how much of that is Iger's fault? How much was that in motion under Iger's tenure versus finally coming to fruition under Chapek's tenure? How much was under Chapek's tenure that came into fruition under Chapek's tenure? It, it, the idea of the movies were Star Wars. There's been a lot of negativity around that because they haven't done any movies. They've been focused on just the streaming Disney Plus shows. So is this, is Iger going to be able to turn it around? Uh, and and is this a band-aid? Because who do they have in the wings waiting to take Iger's spot of it? Because he's going to have to step down again. That would not cause the same Bob Chapek situation down the road. Well, I think I think two things. And I mean, like, who knows? Like, nobody, like yeah. I said it before, like, Iger has, I mean, this is a big risk for Iger because he kind yes. of left with, like, a great, you know, it's a great image. Iger did all this great stuff. Iger was a great CEO. Right. Bringing somebody back in and being like, ooh, okay, things are messy. Can you do it a second time? Right. Like, if he does, solidifies his legacy. Yeah. If he doesn't, he still did a lot of great stuff. He just wasn't the, he, he wasn't like, he didn't have the golden touch that everybody thought he did. Right. Um, you know, I don't think that like specific decisions, like when you get into like the phase four of it all are necessarily at a CEO's feet, like Marvel gets to do what they do. But, you know, there was a lot of rumors about, you know, Marvel being forced to keep their movies at two hours. Yes. And stuff. Like, there was, right. So like there are some shows so, to six. Yeah. I like think that, that yeah. I think that because the Chapek decision clearly didn't work out great for everybody, uh, there's a bit more of a roadmap on here's the type of person that we need to find. It can't just be someone who's really good at the money side or the theme park side or the consumer product side. Like that's important. That's hugely important. But there is a creative component 
to running this company that was not met. So let's make sure that we fulfill that. So it's like they know what they need. Will they be able to find it? It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting two years. Yeah. So- yeah. Two two years uh, in in corporate world. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is not a ton of time yeah. uh, to to tectonically uh, change the direction of your company. So yes, I think what Vogel said is probably true. Is uh, uh, Iger coming in and reestablishing what where where they're trying to go, and then finding someone in his mold. Yeah, yeah. And here, real quick, here are some uh, from numerous articles. Here are nine things people want to have Iger do when he gets in there: stop requiring reservations for parks, allow park hopping earlier, abolish Genie Plus, make annual oh. passes available again, reinstate the free airport shuttle, bring back the dining plans, stop charging for those magic bands, lower the prices overall. And some of the conservative fans want to abandon the woke changes, supposedly. And that's going to be a situation that's going to be real interesting for Iger to navigate. Because Bob Chapek clearly overcorrected in the don't say gay situation and pissed off Ron DeSantis down there in Florida and caused Disney some issues there. So how does Iger smooth things over there with DeSantis? Because clearly they were too late on the don't say gay bill, then overcompensated and ended up pissing off both sides. So how does Iger navigate the uh, shark-infested waters of that situation? I think it's going to be something to keep an eye on as well. He buys Star Trek. He buys Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Mikey. Any Florida contacts that can let us know what's going on down there? I'll uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted. I'll keep you posted. (laughs) Okay. Well, let's get on out of here. I think this is a good, uh, fun discussion for Thanksgiving. Um, uh, gentlemen, any final words we need to say? To, should we give some thanks? Uh, for yeah. What do we give thanks for on this Thanksgiving? I'm thankful wow. for those two guys up there. Oh. Um, yeah, look, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, we, like I said, like we have such a wealth of stuff to talk about. Uh, so much great entertainment. I'm thankful for everyone who is listening and watching right now. Um, thankful for all of the buddies we got out there who uh, tune in every week. Uh, you guys are all awesome, and we love our uh, we love our geek buddy family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thankful for these two guys as well for taking this journey. We've been on it for a few years now, and to see it keep growing and growing and getting more and more attention for all the things we do, I appreciate it madly. Appreciate all the people who've taken a chance on the geek buddies over the years and have stayed with us through the whole journey. So thank you all so much. Have yourselves a great Thanksgiving. Shannon, what do we have to tell them? Yeah. If you'd like to follow us on social media on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies on Instagram at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung on Instagram at Shannon, the geek buddy. If you would like to follow Mr. Vogel, it is at MK tune. If you would like to follow Mr. Roca, it is at the Roca says. Thank you. Uh, look, if you like Turkey with gravy, if you like stuffing, if you like pumpkin pie, if you like mashed potatoes, then you should enjoy all of those things today. Um, But if you enjoy geeky content, then here's what you could do to help us keep making it. Uh, Definitely hit the like button below, subscribe to Johnny's Outlaw Nation page, leave your comments below. What do you think about all of this stuff? I mean, we covered a lot of territory today. Let us know what you think about it below. Another good way to kind of take a break from the family, leave a comment. Uh, If you are listening to us on any podcast, go ahead and leave us some stars, leave us some comments, helps us go up in the rankings. And as always, the best thing that you guys can do is retweet this video, post it on your socials, send it to your friends, and tell them to hang out with your buddies, the Geek Buddies. Hello. All right, there you go. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Please be safe out there and navigate your mental health as well as you can in these day, on these in these holidays. I know it's tough, so we send you our love, and hopefully we helped you 
take a little bit of a break and made you laugh and made you think as well about all the things we talked about today. All right, take care of yourselves. Be well. Okay, hey, take care of yourselves. Be Happy well. Happy Thanksgiving! <laughs> oh! <Yay>! From the <laughs> Geek Buddies! Do it again! <laughs>